from runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 781, How Teams Works with SharePoint, with guest Susan Hanley. Recorded Friday, May 14th, 2021. Run As Radio is produced each week by Sound Thoughts, LLC. For more information, visit soundthoughtsllc.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell. Thanks for listening to Run As Radio. Today, my guest is Susan Hanley, a business analyst and information architect specializing in the people side of the internet and collaboration solutions. She's a Microsoft Office's Servers and Services MVP and the co-author of the Essential SharePoint book series. Welcome back, Susan. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Ah, it's great to chat with you. Uh, do, still doing the thing, lots of work. Like it never, it never let up for us, did it? No, it really didn't. I think in many respects, um, because people, so many more people are working from home, you know, the parts of the world that I focus on, uh, internet space in particular, organizations are increasing their focus on how do we connect yeah. um, with people when we no longer have that physical day-to-day connection. They, I, I had this conversation with an IT guy just the other day. He says, I didn't realize how many people literally go down the hall to chat with AR, HR rather than check the intranet. And now they can't. And so yeah. HR's phone's ringing off the hook and their answer almost every time is go look at the intranet. <laughs> and, and so it's, you know, it's, I, I said to him, I think you got a discoverability problem there, friend, right? Like if the information's really there, then folks need to know it's there and it's got to be easy to find. Although, you know, when I look at things that are happening, um, perhaps the reason people are making the phone call today is to get that human interaction. Oh, yeah. No kidding. Yeah. I, my wife, who's in the clothing industry, had wanted to do a fitting. And, uh, and you know, we're getting vaccinated here. So finally, it was one of those times where it's like, we could actually do this fitting in person with these folks. And they went like an hour long. And I said, was that much work? It's like, I think people just wanted to talk. So, <laughs> Yeah, yeah it, I get you really get that sense of maybe this crazy year is ending. Um, I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. And it's been longer than a year. It has been so. longer. Yeah, without a doubt. So. And and we're not done. Done. Like I I don't I don't even know what the new normal looks like yet. But uh, I'm <laughs> right. Free- I mean, I still feel like I haven't seen two of my children in more than eighteen months. So for me, yeah, it's that's- not over until I get to hug my boys. So yeah, you know what I I I think Susan, everybody together for Christmas. Like yeah. you want to think about it over. It's when you those things we haven't done, and we're all in a room together, and less of the paraphernalia of the pandemic is around. And I'm only saying less because not. Yet, but right. you know, let's have a, a Thanksgiving or 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 Christmas or something with the whole family together. Uh, I think yeah. that's this fall's going to be powerful for that. I hope. I really I do. I hope so. Yeah. So, I mean, I've, I've opened this whole conversation with this intranet side of things. Did you, have you had a lot of, uh, of push, like folks talking about my internet needs to be better? Is, is that been an issue? It's been amazing. Mm-hmm. I have been busier in the last year and a half, I think, than I've ever been in my entire career. And it's largely because so many organizations are saying, hey, we need to do better. Yeah. We need to make sure that we can, you know, build that connection. 
uh, and they're very focused on uh, communications technology. How do we reach people when they're not going to be in the office? And I think most of my clients are not looking at a return to the workplace that will ever look like it used to. I think it's very fair. Yeah. Right. Even organizations, like I have one organization with a very large customer support team, and their primary application they used to deliver on the internet was about booking desks. So where does each customer care person sit You know, for that massive room with a whole lot of people on the phone? They're actually now at a point where they're saying, are we going to return to that ever? Mm -hmm. Is that desk booking application even going to be necessary? Because what does it mean for us? What does return to work mean? Do we need that, you know, big, huge communal workspace with everyone sitting with a headset talking to customers? And I've been real sensitive to, I mean, you and I have been in these careers long enough and are of an age without any little kids around and so forth. Although I imagine there's some grandkids about that, uh, that it, we do have good workspaces at home, but that is not true of every worker either. Correct. That they really need a workspace at least some of the time. So, 100%. I do think it's transformative. My, my question has been not so much, I mean, I wouldn't want to be in the commercial real estate business right now, but it's like, <laughs> do we have personal desks or really hot desking where, you know, you, to utilize a space efficiently, nobody, one person uses it either. And that from an IT perspective is pretty serious because- if it's only one person using a desk and they're using a computer and so forth, that's one configuration. But if it's routinely changing identity, it's a very different configuration. True, true. I had a client more than 10 years ago that had completely switched to a hot desking model. And they actually didn't want you to sit in the same location for more than three days in a row. Interesting. And so you, everything you would, dot, you know, the phone that was sitting at your desk, you would plug in your own code and then it would become your phone. Right. And everybody had like a middle school locker where they could leave things overnight at work. So you didn't have to carry your laptop back and forth. But the idea was to create um, physical collaborative workspaces that were more collaborative, that encouraged people when they were in the office to do more connecting. And even that, I wonder, now that we have so many different vehicles for connecting online and powerful tools like Teams in which we can connect with video uh, and audio and transcriptions and recordings and all that. Um, Their original thinking 10 or 15 years ago was about increasing the opportunity for serendipitous conversation um, by changing the way that you look at the world and uh, collaborating with other people outside your normal day-to-day. I think there's merit to that for sure. I just wonder how much – I think all of this is – being rethought. And just to bring it back to the internet, I think the internet is going to be um, a way that we can um, democratize information to get the right information to the right people at the right time in any platform that they're working. I think that's so fundamentally important. I have really seen, especially in the sort of Teams collaboration space, like the wiki, where two or three of us on a call in different locations, but literally editing the same document at the same time, mm-hmm. and felt very productive and collaborative. And I, and I almost felt like if we tried to do this in a room, it wouldn't have been as efficient. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I don't love, honestly, from my personal experience is I still love the idea of whiteboarding and drawing together. And I don't find it as effective to do that online as I do with my pen and drawing it. Um, Although, again, if I would just take the tablet that I have with a pen and do it that way, I know it would be more effective. But I love the being in a room, whiteboarding and thinking together 
and then everyone goes off and then coming back together. I'm not as having as much fun doing that um, virtually, but you know, it works. Whiteboarding with a mouse is lousy. You know, it's, in, it's an yeah, interesting idea Yeah, to be able to grab. I have a couple of pen based devices around yeah. here, but I tend to go to those collaborative tools with the best camera rather than the best pen. Yeah. So it is an interesting idea that I think is still too hard to say, hey, can I grab another device and quickly add that to this call so that I do have a good whiteboard experience? It's a cool thought. You know, the tooling still got to get better. And I really, when you were describing the whiteboard scenario, I was thinking Surface Hub. Because I yeah, have that's exactly what I'm thinking yeah. too. Just give me one of those. As long as I don't have to pay for it. Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. I'd like a Surface Hub. <laughs> that is 100%. As long as I don't have to pay for it. As long it, as I so. don't have to pay for it. But it all ties back to the same thing of us creating these things in a place that we can, other folks can find them and work with them and, and be able to collaborate over them. So, uh, and clean, you know, I always am struggling with when they make a new thing, whatever that team is working on, where does it land? Is it easy to find again for anybody other than the initial creators? Like that, that information hierarchy part seems to be really challenging for folks. There's always, I don't think it's avoidable that you have a sort of post facto of an event sort of curation process. Well, you know, I literally had this conversation with a client today. I was mm. actually helping him organize his team site yeah. because he, like so many people, were was completely confused by the direction from IT Start using Teams, put it in Teams, not realizing that the file that he was putting in Teams wasn't landing in Teams. Right. It actually was living in his SharePoint yeah. site. And because his SharePoint site, his modern group-backed SharePoint site, preceded his team, he didn't understand the connection between the channel in Teams and the file structure in SharePoint, not completely didn't get that it was one and the same. Interesting. And so what we were doing was we were really, I, what I said to him is, I think it's really important that, you know, in the life cycle of a team, the life cycle of a file, we as teams need to start as we're storming and forming, deciding what our contract with each other is about how we are going to store content what we're going to name our files, like, you know, avoiding the dreaded .v1, .v2, oh, .v2 yeah. underscore sh comments. I mean, using <laughs> the, you know, you mentioned a wiki. So um, that's an overused and often inappropriately used term. Mm -hmm. If what we really, because what we really mean is collaborative editing. Right. And as long as you don't do something stupid, like save a file with .v1 in it, everyone could be collaborative collaboratively editing the one and only one version yeah. of that document. And you can see what other people are doing in real time and after the fact so that you, you know, aren't stepping all over each other. So what we did was first I had to draw for him the connection <laughs> between SharePoint and teams and what does a channel mean and what does a file, what does a folder mean right. in the document library and how can we make those connections to to make it so that the interaction with our files and our conversations is more seamless. And what we ended up doing was reorganizing his back-end document library and then thinking about what topics his team was collaborating about mm -hmm. and creating, you know, the secret trick if, you, if you've got SharePoint that preceded the team is that as long as you make a channel with the exact same name, 
as the SharePoint folder, they're magically connected. Wow, that's such a great tip. In real time. And so one little tip I did not know until today is that in SharePoint, you can have an ampersand in the folder name, but in Teams, you cannot have an ampersand oh. in the channel name. So in one of his folders that we tried to align, um, he put an ampersand. He has an ampersand in the SharePoint folder. I could not create a corresponding team with the same name. So I had to spell out A-N-D. Right, yeah. And then I immediately think a Q&A folder, and I know I have them, but because it has right. the ampersand in it, it's not going to bind. So it, it didn't like each other, and so it didn't bind, and so we had to make – we had to – Move, we had to create one on the team side and then move his SharePoint content into, you know, the the one with the ampersand. I just wholesale moved everything into the Teams channel. What we ended up with a, a very nicely structured SharePoint site that aligned with his uh, channels in Teams so that the com- things we would talk about and files associated with those conversations were now 100% aligned. Right. To make that even seem more seamless, we reorganized the homepage of his SharePoint site to be more storytelling. Um, we added a how we're going to work together, our effectively our collaboration contract, where we're going, how we're going to name our files, mm-hmm. how we're going to use our folders. We made that a page on the SharePoint site, and then we brought that page and the homepage into the Teams environment so you could effectively get the exact same visual and um, virtual experience no matter which interface you chose to work in, the SharePoint side or the Teams side. And so he was thrilled. Yeah, you've got a group of folks that are probably still pretty SharePoint-centric. They may or may not have embraced Teams, or if they are embracing it, they're not embracing it that way. They're just doing chat over there. Yeah, what I've this is my experience has been if an organization has been SharePoint-centric over the years, mm-hmm. the my the shift to Teams is much harder. If you've never been a SharePoint person, so you never were vested in the back end, right, right. using Teams is totally natural because you may never interface with SharePoint for your team collaboration. Right. And, and so it, it's not even relevant to you. But if, if you've got a legacy SharePoint site that you are teamifying, you now need to figure out if I am going to switch conversation. I mean, again, as a team, we decide no more email. We're going to be doing everything in chat. You need to align your files to so that because files are what teams work on. Sure. You need to align that experience to your conversation channels. And that's actually what we were working on today, making sure that the experience would be um, the same. Yeah. And his teams, newer people to the organization who are being brought into a team's first world would be um, would understand how the team works together, and the legacy people who are more comfortable in the classic team site world would also be okay. Right. So the yeah the sh- and the the SharePoint folks. Well, the, and the main thing here is the new people who aren't going to go looking in SharePoint can find everything in Teams. Correct. And the Correct. share and and can see th- and stuff that's created in SharePoint then appears in Teams as well. Because every channel, w- what we were able to do, because his team is relatively small, we were able to make a channel for every single folder he was already using. Right. And for some of the folders that didn't make sense, I made him come up with a higher order name. Right. Because he had some folders that had one document in it, and that is like I'm an information architect. You don't ever yeah. make a category hey, for one. That's hey, that's so. that's called a mistake, right? It's like. <laughs> It's called a not. It's yeah. called something very confusing. You're yes. making me work too hard to find my information, and so we were able to really make a, a much more rationalized experience. 
Do you end up calling something the junk drawer when you start to just have a place to put all the orphans? That's what general is. And yeah. I usually say that use that general library for when you, first of all, as an information architect, we hate general, other, miscellaneous, yes. or none. I mean, we don't like any of those words, but you're going to get it. Mm-hmm. You can't do anything with it. You can't get rid of it. So now let's, uh, when you, again, as part of your collaboration contract, let's figure out what makes sense. It's basically for things that don't otherwise have a home. Right. And 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 it's good to land it there because it's also a flag for do we need to work on our information architecture and create homes for some of these things? Yeah, yeah. It's a nice temporary landing space, even 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 if it isn't permanent. Well, it's just like a house, right? You that that, that table by the door, right? And when it's <laughs> full, it's time to go sort stuff out. At some point, you do have to um, clean it out, and the incentive for most of us in the pandemic was to spend a lot of time organizing our junk drawers. Oh yes, um, <laughs> it's really hard to get people to do that in their teams. So my my I always try to convince people. My advice is always try not to put too much in the junk drawer yeah. because at some point you're going to come ha- you're going to want to come back and clean it up. So instead, allow your uh, folders to evolve to some extent, allow your channels to evolve yeah. to some extent and maybe take advantage of some things like metadata and not just folders for organizing your content so that you don't need so many locations. I mean, I don't want people to get into the habit of putting stuff in the junk drawer, but I do I, I do want you to spend a few seconds figuring out where something should go. And if it isn't coherent where it should go, okay, yeah. it goes in the junk drawer. But that also flags it as there's a problem here. There should be nothing in the junk drawer. Right. Well, that it, one easy way to do that is to minimize the number of alternate places where people can put content. Right. Have a small number of places that are very clearly mutually exclusive so that you know an asset goes here and not here. The minute it needs to be in both places, we have all the kinds of problems we used to have, well, we still have, with folders, which I, of course, call the F word. Mm-hmm. And that really kind of means that we may need, even in teams where people hate to add metadata, we we may need to think about um, how are we going to ensure that that content can be found and not duplicated? Right. So you mean that we have two choices, put it where you think it goes, add a link to it in the other location or combine it and use metadata to, um, have a further refinement on the content in that. It's a form. very yeah great thinking there. And Susan, I'm going to interrupt for one moment for this very important message. This episode of Run As Radio is brought to you by the Humanitarian Toolbox. Humanitarian Toolbox builds open source software for disaster relief organizations. One of the leading projects called Two Weeks Ready helps individuals, families, and communities prepare for disasters using smartphones. HDBox builds and operates this and other applications on behalf of a variety of disaster response organizations, and they need your help. Go to htbox.org for more information or to make a tax-deductible donation. HDBox is a 501c3 U.S. registered charity. Your donations help support the creation of this life-saving software. Thanks. And we're back. It's Run As Radio. I'm Richard Campbell. That's Susan Hanley. And we're chatting a little bit about what it's like to have bring teams into an existing SharePoint organization versus teams when you don't have a lot of commitment to SharePoint. Although SharePoint's always there, right? Yeah, well, there's content doesn't files don't live in teams right. they live in sharepoint they live in sharepoint it's just that if you don't already have an existing sharepoint architecture teams is making sharepoint in, in folders on the back end invisibly for right. you exactly okay but it also i mean from that perspective as an it person i'm also thinking you should have confidence in when they start putting documents into teams 
it's going into a known infrastructure that works. Yes, and where you can apply retention and compliance and all that kind of stuff to manage those assets the way you need to to protect them. Does it make sense from an administrative perspective to be using the SharePoint tools to manage those things, or is there a good set on the team side these days? There are for doc for files. Mm -hmm. All file management happens from the SharePoint governance side. Remember, your content doesn't live in Teams. Right, it's living in SharePoint. It so lives in SharePoint. So the all of the rules about your documents and the retention policies associated with those files are managed where they're supposed to be managed right. by your document management policies that are associated with your document repository, which is the SharePoint superpower. But that also brings up the idea of you, if you as, as an IT person have avoided SharePoint so far, but your organization wants to use Teams, guess what? You need to spend a little time learning more about SharePoint governance. Correct. Yeah. Well, I mean, governance all in for Microsoft 365. Yeah. And I like to remind people that it's a family. And so you are not making team, like, for example, I, a governance decision for teams uh, isn't made in isolation. So f as, an ex as a specific example, part of the decision you make for each team is can you have external guests as a member of that team? Right. You can't make that decision for teams alone because actually it's the group that determines can you have a guest. And what determines whether the group can have guests at all is your Azure setting for can the tenant have guests. So if you lock down the tenant, I don't care what anybody else wants to do, there are no guests. Right. So if the tenant is opened up, the next decision you're making is can you have guests in groups? And because groups are shared by Yammer and Teams and other services as well, you can't say no guests, you know, guests here and no guests, you know, you're making that decision for every service that needs groups. And then you're making that decision for each individual team. Can this team have a guest? Well, and I think it's very easy to start out saying no guests when you're new into M365 and saying, well, it's only, it's for employees. It's only when you get down to this point of this kind of workflow where it's like, well, we need this vendor in here or we right. want this customer to participate in this thing and so forth that, it, that, that that's why they're guests. Yeah, I'm not seeing a whole lot of organizations say no to that except mm -hmm. for one financial institution that I work with where they lock it down at the tenant level. But almost everybody else, one of the reasons they want to use a tool like Teams is so that they can collaborate with their partners, suppliers, and customers right. as needed. And it just means you need to think about governance before you get too far right. with all these things. Well, because the alternative is you do is they end up interacting with that customer in email and then cutting and pasting their way. Like it gets really gross. They're not really collaborating. Well, you have shadow IT yeah. scenarios and maybe your content. I once worked with a client that had 24 different um, sort of eyes and ears closed collaboration solutions that they were using for document storage. Right. And IT was basically saying, we're letting the business do what they need to do to get work done. And the business was saying, we have no idea what the right tool is or what we should be doing. Yeah. And the fact is that on one project, I have content in Basecamp, Dropbox, Box, and SharePoint. Where is that document again? <laughs> so they, you know, the business was actually looking from f for some guidance and direction, and IT was sort of allowing ran, you know, consumer yeah, grade. IT's abrogated a content. key responsibility there, which is in that organization, management. yes. Yeah. But in other organizations, they want to lock everything down and without talking to the business about how they're working today. And I think that's really where what it comes down to is that governance decisions should not be made by IT 
or no. the business alone. Yeah. That it's a this is a shared responsibility and should be made holistically for the organization. Um, and just to bring this conversation back to intranets as a whole, I think for me, one of the most important parts about all the announcements around Microsoft Viva is that what Viva is encouraging people to do is to have is to take a step back and bring the right players into the employee experience conversation, not just HR for that aspect of the employee work, not just comms for the intranet and not just IT for anything. Right. And so if you haven't already been bringing all of those organizations plus the operational business units together to have that conversation about what do we need to do for our employees, what Viva is in is helping those organizations kind of move along the maturity curve. And what Viva is helping us do is say, hey, if we really want to provide this holistic experience for our employees in the place where they are now working, which is Microsoft Teams, we better get together right? so that we're not stepping all over each other and that we can use the same fundamental constructs like audiences to target both communications and applications to the right people. And I just did a show on Viva last week. It's still a little rough, though, right? Like, there are pieces that are there and pieces that aren't. Yeah, it's an evolving... It's more... I mean, I think, yes, yeah, some of it is there, there, and right. some of it is evolving there. Right. But, I mean, everything about how we use technology these days is a journey when we're working in the cloud. Sure. And so, I we have elements of Microsoft Viva or elements that are contributing to the experience of Microsoft Viva that will hit more organizations this month, like the SharePoint app bar. Right. And you really need the app bar to get global navigation, which is what makes Viva connections more meaningful. And so uh, all of these things are tied together. And um, while everyone could run the PowerShell to get Viva connections, it won't mean a whole lot without the app bar. I think by the end of this month, uh, most of my clients are now starting to see the app bar light up, which means, in fact, this week, um, most of them seem to have gotten the app bar in their tenant. And so now we have an opportunity to really think, what is that going to mean in terms of delivering not just our teamwork in teams, but also our intranet in teams as well? Right, right. Yeah. I, I think this is all the battle is is that uh, you, you have so many moving parts going on. Uh, that have to interact together. And so some of the stuff that happened in Viva was new, is existing. And so it's mature, but there's they it's like Microsoft sort of broadened the concept and wanted to do these larger things. And so has, uh, um, has come up with the concept and has put some pieces in places, but there's also some pieces that aren't there yet. And it'll, it'll obviously, you know, the nice thing about offices at three, all the 365 stuff is this happens so quickly, you know, that mm-hmm. they, you will get bits every week things will change and and hopefully for the better. Right. I mean, which is really what makes it very challenging in many cases to keep people aware of what's available. This week, I've been working with a client who I last sort of uh, spent a lot of time with them three years ago, and they have really not been keeping up with what's now available on modern SharePoint sites. And when I showed them a few things, they were like, wait, you can do that now? uh, (laughs) How did that happen? And and seriously, some of these things happened a couple, at like almost two years ago, but they really just um, sort of hadn't been paying attention. Uh, and honestly, 
you are making a commitment when you, when you uh, sign up for a cloud-based service to at least have somebody paying attention to what's new because a lot of what they were doing was super hard to maintain because and it's now kind of native to the product and so keeping up with that allows you to you know sort of pay off some technical debt and make things a lot easier for yourself um, going forward right yeah absolutely and very powerful right that, that all of these things sort of happen it but you've also brought to light to me this this idea that there's a period of time as an existing SharePoint user, uh, existing SharePoint organization, as Teams is coming into play, that there's a re- there should be a real alignment effort. That you're, you're really missing out on the benefits to some degree. Like Teams is going to be crippled unless you've aligned it with the SharePoint infrastructure that you have. Yeah, and I think a lot of that, I, I always tell people, if you're, um, you've got projects underway and they're functioning and everyone's getting work done, I'm not so sure it makes sense to completely re-architect every single ongoing initiative just because we have a new toy or a new tool in our tool chest. And to some extent, we still need to get work done. Right. And if we are working productively, I don't know that I would interrupt a project with a brand new technology if there's only a month or two left. Um, however, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be thinking about new and alternative and more effective ways to work for things that we are starting today and to allow the team with legacy projects to make their decision about what gets brought into the new framework and what stays the way it used to be. Because remember, all of this content, especially files, still live in SharePoint, whether you're adopting Teams whole all in or whether you're still working in team sites. And so that means at least from the file lens of the world, which is OneDrive, and the SharePoint lens of the world, which is SharePoint, you can still find your content because it lives and the you know in the back end of all of this lives in SharePoint. Now you won't be looking at your chat unless you are searching from a search perspective right. that has includes the chat as well. But if the world, if your world has been files and now is a combination of files and chat, there are, you know, entry points for content findability that will still work for you. And that you may have sort of one place for active content and then a connected place for legacy content. And that may actually be okay. Yeah. And you, and you, is that, do you, but do you see that as a hybrid state, like sort of an interim state or do you really want to get everything under Teams ultimately? I don't know. I, I think, I no, because I think Teams, you would only really want to migrate active collaborative right, content. Right, right. So the, your archive site. And you're going to need to archive things. Yeah. So I'm, I think I'm just also thinking is, about the interface perspective of, you know, do I have to switch interfaces for the archive? And, then, and if it's yes, then it's yes. Well, remember that. Um, now that it's so much easier to bring SharePoint into Teams, the answer may be no, you do not have to switch interfaces. Right. You just have to go to the archive location, which may or may not have a face, you know, a story page that is Microsoft Teams. Now, you can always look, go to the archive from that SharePoint page um, in your intranet, which is now brought into Teams via Viva Connections. Yeah, okay. I buy that. And then once you're there, of course, now Search is looking at all of the content. Uh, not just the content that you see in Teams. And I think, again, uh, search and browse, we can deal with all of this um, by having that um, single pane of glass, which is really, I think of Teams for me, it's the desktop. I mean, that's the tool I'm 
starting my day in yeah. most often. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and reliable too. Like, like you, you'll get what you want. And that's the, I think that's the big thing is that the, I want people's reflex to be go, to go to teams, right? Rather than mm -hmm. Outlook and even rather than the SharePoint portal. Uh, that's where people are talking. That's where the immediate messages are. Like all the things are there. Right. And with that, and, and what you've described then is, so the active work is there. There might be archive work from the past architectures that's, that's elsewhere. Uh, does the search work though? Yeah. I mean, so that's, if that's the nice thing is that search from Microsoft Teams, uh, especially if you've brought Viva connections, you've brought your intranet into Teams. Right. Search actually gives you two um, scopes. You can search within Teams or you can search within the entire intranet. And that allows you to have kind of that one, one place to search. It's not perfect yet. Ultimately, the search outcomes, I think, should be the same no matter which entry point you come for. You should be able to pivot um, from any entry point. And that's that's what micro the Microsoft Search team is really evolving towards. Awesome. There is only one Microsoft Search or there will be only one. There will be. Yeah. And so that's definitely, that's the path you want to go down and count on that. That's just going to keep getting better. Uh, Susan, thank you so much for the show. Really a great insight about, you know, the, what Teams is really doing under the hood and how it affects our information architecture. Great. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. And we'll talk to you again on Run As Radio.